Not a matter of if, but when a crisis could rock your world. I'm Rashini Rajkumar, crisis strategist, licensed attorney, and host of The Crisis Files. In each case file, we explore a ripped-from-the-headlines crisis or multidimensional issue. My crisis squad and I are here to find solutions. I also curate the landscape to bring you thought leaders who are working on crises from the inside. Mary Grove is managing partner of Bread and Butter Ventures, an early stage venture capital firm based in Minnesota that invests in food tech, health tech, and enterprise technology. When we think of the world of entrepreneurs, names like Oprah Winfrey, Elon Musk, Kylie Jenner come to mind. None of them are worrying about money. Not all is rosy though for all women entrepreneurs. According to Morningstar, women founders receive only 2% of venture capital funding in the U.S. Mary is here to dive into some staggering stats in the case file I call, Show Me the Money. Mary, the picture is bleak. Forbes.com says women entrepreneurs employ about 10 million people and generate $1.8 trillion in revenue. So what's going on here? Well, Rashini, first, thank you so much for having me. I'm such a big fan of your series and the work that you and your team do to shed light on some of these key topics that face all of us. And I'm excited to dive in today. You're absolutely right that the situation is bleak, unfortunately, very bleak for female entrepreneurs today. And there are many reasons. You know, the fundamental truth is that we know that great ideas are born everywhere, created by people of all backgrounds, because the best entrepreneurs, the best companies, are usually founded by people who are solving a problem that is near and dear to them, that is pressing for their lives, but is also applicable to millions or maybe even billions of other people. And so we know that great ideas come from anywhere. And so what I really want to hone in on today is this issue of access, right? It's access to capital. And if we look at the history of the venture capital industry, it's really an issue of democratizing access, right? It's a closed network access business. And I love and I'm deeply passionate about the work that we get to do as venture investors. One of the things that I'm passionate about changing, too, is that closed network access business where what that means is usually require a warm introduction to an investor to even get a meeting. And it's people funding people who are in their immediate or one degree of removal network that is perpetuating this cycle of some of the institutional barriers to accessing some of this capital that is out there. So the good news is there are many phenomenal female founders and female-led companies out there, and there's capital out there too. So it's really a question of how do we break down those barriers in the industry and how do we democratize that access? Before we get into some of that breaking down of the barriers, I often find it's helpful when people understand what drives my guests who I bring in on the crisis files. And so much of your origin story goes back to your family, goes back to your time at Google for why you're doing what you're doing today. So let people know a little bit about that because I really think it informs how well-versed you are on this topic. My origin story is that I come from a very scrappy immigrant entrepreneur family. My parents were both born in Thailand in rural villages and really came to the U.S. separately embodied that quintessential American dream. They met here, had three children, ran a variety of small businesses together, primarily in healthcare for over 35 years. And to me, that was an unbelievable gift, right? Growing up in this environment of seeing the tenacity, the grit, what success looked like, what failure looked like. It wasn't really about just innovating for innovation's sake. It was, you know, for survival. And so 
you'll see a pattern too, right? Many phenomenal companies are founded by immigrants. And so I grew up in that environment and really came to appreciate and love what entrepreneurship could be. And my parents also instilled that in me of, you need to be your own boss, right? Control your own destiny. So from there, I studied in the Bay Area, right? Went to college at Stanford and I didn't study tech, but being in the backyard of Silicon Valley at such a unique time in the industry really was a combination of being in the right place at the right time, but also leaning into opportunities and really trying to put in a lot of cycles of early learning. And so I ended up at Google in 2004, my first job out of school, and thought I would spend one year there on the way to law school. And it was an amazing place, right? I was employee roughly 2000 when I started. And 15 years later, I left and we were over 100,000 employees globally. And so many of the lessons that I learned during that era of exponential growth, of growing from, you know, Google began as a startup in a garage to this global titan, but really driven and motivated by a lot of really important values, including, right, organizing all the world's information, making it universally accessible and useful, and just had a a great opportunity there to work with phenomenal people, to help build teams, always around business development, emerging market expansion. And I built the Google for Startups organization in my last six years there, which is our umbrella for thinking through and investing in both startups, but also startup ecosystems, working all over the world, working to support founders in over 100 countries, taught me firsthand these fundamental principles of, wow, entrepreneurs are ever innovating. And usually it's because they have to, right? It's a matter of necessity. That principle of constraint breeds creativity is a huge part of it. I also saw that talent was everywhere and often markets, they just lacked access, right? Access to resources, access to things like venture capital, coaching resources, mentorship resources. And so the common thread throughout the last two decades of my work has been this passion for really trying to elevate people who are either overlooked as entrepreneurs or ecosystems that are underlooked because of their geography, for example, really any lens on it. It's uncovering those absolute diamonds. And I think coming to Minnesota, it just honed in on that principle in a different way. So I moved to Minnesota about a little over five years ago from California. And this is now completely home to me. But I joke, I'm a proud Minnesotan by marriage. My husband's from here. We have a 75-person family uh, on his side here in the Midwest. And we think it's a great ecosystem to build a family, to build a life. And then from the business perspective, what a gift to be in a place that has such a diverse industry sectors, right? And it's it's different from where I came from. It's interesting because there are a lot of people listening all over the country who might think, Minnesota, are you really diverse? Now, perhaps in population, we're not as diverse as some parts of the country. But in actual business dynamics, entrepreneurial spirit, ideas, there is diversity here. What are some of the lessons, though, just in general, no matter where that next great idea is, no matter where it may find itself in our country, in our world, what are some of those similarities that make for a good idea that actually should walk into bread and butter ventures and say, hey, can I have some money? Show me the money. There's so many ways that entrepreneurs can approach building a business, right? So to me, when I work with founders, the first fundamental question is, what type of business are you building? Why are you building it? And what are your short and long-term goals? Because there are so many ideas worth pursuing out there. And equally, there are a number of different ways to capitalize a business. So the business that we're in with Bread and Butter Ventures is very specific, right? Venture capital really is a structure where we, as fund managers, go raise 
funds from what we call limited partners or LPs. And those are often, you know, institutions, foundations, pension funds, university endowments, corporations, some individuals who are investing their capital into our fund. We then steward that capital, invest it for financial return into what we think are the best and brightest ideas. And our commitment is we're going to return your capital multiple times over, hopefully, and help some phenomenal founders build some life-changing technologies. And that's a very specific form of capitalization where our interests need to be aligned and the timeline also needs to be aligned. So we don't talk about it as explicitly in venture capital, but as a seed stage or early stage investor, you know, our commitment to our investors is we would like to return capital to you in roughly, you know, seven to 10 years. So it's a long-term investment, but also we are committing to we want to return that capital, right? And the only way to return capital is to have an exit, which is either the company goes public or they get acquired through M&A. And so that's the paradigm, right? And so when I work with phenomenal founders of all types, if the goal is I'm inheriting, you know, multi-generational business that I want to pass on to my children, my grandchildren, or I want to build a business that's profitable from the first year and it just grows on its own, these are all viable things. It's not a one-size-fits-all. So I would ask myself as the entrepreneur, what type of business am I building? What am I seeing as the long-term and short-term goal? Do I want to sell the business? Do I want to take it public? Do I want to pass it on? Do I want to run it on the side while I also have other businesses that I'm building? And so that's the most fundamental question. If you've chosen the venture route, then I think the question becomes, is this a quote-unquote venture-backable company? And that means that you know we're building a true platform not a feature, not one specific product, not something that could be part of a broader company that already exists out there. You're trying to build a market, you know, a category creator, not just reorganize an existing category. And that's when we get super crazy excited, right, about the vision aligns with something that's a problem that we believe is so enormous, can be solved through technology, but this is a really different approach. And what you're talking about is not haphazard. Bread and Butter Ventures currently has 67 portfolio companies. 54% are led by female founders. So getting back to some of the challenges that women have in finding money, a SCORE survey says only 25% of women entrepreneurs seek financing over the lifespan of their business. Why is that? So maybe there's that money out there, but a bunch of these women founders aren't even trying to get it. It's fascinating to look at the numbers that are in the bread and butter portfolio, right? That 54% of companies being led by female founders. We get the question a lot. How does that happen, right? Do you have quotas or an absolutely no? Our objective is to invest for financial return, full stop. And we know the data show too, right? The best way to achieve the best financial performance is to invest in diverse teams, multi-founder teams with different perspectives. And we believe in building Right, investing in technologies that are built by people who represent the people their technologies are built to serve, which is usually everybody. That's an important piece of how we're trying to do it. Some of the reasons behind why I think we're seeing the numbers that we are, we think about the full stack of venture capital. So I spoke earlier about the limited partners or LPs. Who do we take capital from? Right? Who invests in our fund? Are they diverse? Are they values aligned? Do they care about it? Second layer of the cake, right, is the team, the investment team, our whole team. You know, we're proud of the fact that our team is 75% female. 50% of our investment team are people of color. And so we think about representation truly matters. 
it is a phenomenal, strong market signal out there to entrepreneurs that we're open for business and we're looking for founders from all backgrounds. So by virtue of that alone, I can tell you that if I look at our, we call it deal flow, right? The number of deals that we see in a year, we see about 2,000 or more investment opportunities, deals per year. We invest on average one new investment per month. So that's about 12 per year. So that's a really high funnel that we're looking at. And if we look at that data, just by having the team be more diverse, we're seeing a diverse deal flow. And then you go a step deeper and, you know, that closed network access business, meaning, do you have a warm intro? Who can I make a warm intro to you for? That's part of the industry. We, we see deals from over 500 firms in our network and we share deals with them too. But it's so important to us to have the open door, right, where we're actively inviting founders to come meet with us because it's an intimidating barrier to have. And if you're relying on someone who knows someone, that's not going to work out for a lot of founders. And so a couple of things we do. Every member of our team does open office hours weekly. You can find them on our website, right, breadandbutterventures.com. And you can book time with any of us, specifically if you want to look at, you know, Brett Lee's Food Tech or I Lead Healthcare, book with the person you want to meet with. And you can do anything from get advice. You know, we've had students come and meet to learn more about venture capital, but usually it's pitching an investment opportunity. And I would say that uh, 90 plus percent of people who come to my office hours are women and people of color. And I've had so many people, I invest very actively in women's health, for example, say it's so nice to cut out that first 20 minutes of the meeting where I'm trying to explain why these topics in women's health are important, which is crazy, right? And so those are some of the reasons why I think we've just leaning forward a little bit into it has already made an instrumental amount of, of difference. And so it's that intentionality without having it be in a tokenizing way, right? If we are looking for the best investments, and we understand that it's not just that women are going to build for sectors like fashion or women's health, right? We're building deep tech, AI companies in food tech and supply chain and enterprise software, yes, in healthcare. And so I think we owe it to ourselves and the next generation to really be much more deliberate, collaborative. We still have a lot of work that we're trying to do to advance this within bread and butter and hopefully try to help be part of creating this new blueprint for investing. So I want to wind down with advice for two different groups. First, the people out there who could be those investors, the venture capitalists out there, others with money, they're looking to spend. What is your advice and your ask of them? Part of changing the dynamic is part of changing who brings capital to the table, absolutely. And so I would encourage anybody who's an individual or if you're at a corporation or an institution that has capacity to consider venture capital, please know we need more perspectives in the mix, right? And a great way to get started if you're an individual, for example, and want to learn the mechanics of investing, look at one of the angel groups or a fund out there here in town, a group that I in Minneapolis. In Minneapolis. It's called Groove Capital. For example, they are Minnesota's first check fund. They have a fund, but they also have an active syndicate of angels who they really teach you the ropes from A to Z of how to look at a deal, what questions to ask, what to look for in the data. And they bring deals forward to the group for people to weigh in on and opt in as they like. If you're elsewhere, if you're national, you know, AngelList has a number of, of syndicates. There are a lot of great groups to just start dipping your toe in the water and, and learning the mechanics to get more comfortable. If you're a corporation, there are so many great funds in your sector. So the, one of the reasons why corporations or institutions like this asset class, right, is you are the behemoth titan in the industry. Innovation comes both top down and bottoms up. So having your ear to the ground and knowing the patterns of what 
the earliest emerging tech startups are building could be really useful to your business. And so that's a trend more and more of corporations developing their own fund vehicles to start investing. So I would say just raise your hand, dip your toe in the water, and, and really start deploying a little bit of capital gradually and, and starting to learn. There's so many great opportunities right now. And then to those who want the money, what's your number one thing they need to do if they come to you or any other venture firm asking for funding? The number one thing is that narrative, that strength of the narrative of what are you building? How does this transform the industry that you're in? And why are you as a team uniquely positioned more than anyone else in the world to do this? Because at our stage of investing, it really is a founder and team bet because it's so early. We have to, of course, love the space and the idea is powerful, but really it's about that team. So it's about the power of storytelling, setting that huge big picture vision, and then working backwards to show, you know, why am I, why are we the best people on the planet to do this? Well, Mary Grove has given all of you out there who are either looking to spend or looking to find money a great roadmap. Thank you so much, Mary, for taking us inside the stats and showcasing a pathway to solutions. Find out more about Mary and her VC firm at breadandbutterventures.com. Today's Crisis Brief is sponsored by Goff Public. Number one, an idea is step one. What you do with that idea, with whom you choose to partner, and how you find your plan are also key steps on the journey. Number two, partner with purpose. That goes toward who are your business partners, who are your funders, and do all values align. Number three, venture capital is an exciting asset class. Start by seeking out an angel network you can learn from and invest alongside. Reputation issues can arise quickly and unexpectedly. Prepare and plan before a crisis strikes with Goff Public, an award-winning public relations and public affairs agency. Your best defense is a crisis-ready culture that helps you spot potential issues, act swiftly, and reflects your brand's values while building trust with your audiences. Learn more at GoffPublic.com. Please rate and review The Crisis Files on your platform of choice so others can listen for crisis prevention information. Catch up on all case files at thecrisisfiles.com for the show archive plus special videos. Subscribe to our YouTube page on thecrisisfiles.com. Follow us on Instagram at thecrisisfiles. We do not provide legal, financial, medical, or PR advice for particular situations, but strongly recommend you seek professionals to help with your specific need. I'm Roshini Rajkumar. Join me next time on The Crisis Files.